also fun fact difference between an acronym and an initialism an acronym is meant to be said as if it's a word an initialism is like ymca ah i learned this yimsa when i went to ymca once with one of my friends and people were like oh ymca like the world's most fa- famous acronym. And he was like, it's not an acronym. It's an initialism. Because <laughs> <laughs> someone was like, wow, there's an entire song about the acronym. And it's he was like, it's a song about an initialism. Thing. Yes. If it was a song about the acronym. It wouldn't go YMCA. It would go. Yimka. 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 <laughs> Fun to say it's a Yimka. <laughs> so we start the episode now with you singing. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> singing the famous song Yimka. <laughs> because that's the difference between an acronym and initialism. But yes. Welcome to Mind Pizza. Where we give you a piece of our mind. I'm John. I'm Daniel. And welcome uh, today, or we decided literally today. Yes. I think it was literally today yes. that, that we're going to talk about uh, truth and knowledge because we wanted a uh, palate cleanser from uh, from love. <laughs> yes, we wanted to do something a little more more conc- concrete, perhaps. I don't even know if that's true. Does that already tell some of our preconceived notions about truth already that Ooh. I view it as a concrete idea? Ooh. I don't know, man. We live in a postmodern world. Truth doesn't exist. I thought you Truth were going to say we lived in a twilight world. <laughs> and there's no friends at dusk. No friends at dusk. I don't even remember what that's from, but that's okay. Tenet. Tenet. Oh. We live Come. in a twilight world. There's yes. no friends at dusk. Tenet. <laughs> I say with my, my hands. Hands interlocked. interlocked together. Yes. Say tenet. Yeah. But yes, we are talking about knowledge and truth scientia et veritas in latin you actually were able to say it congrats kind of i probably butchered the pronunciation a little bit if we're talking latin it's a dead language anyway so we're fine yeah (laughs) so knowledge and truth uh i think you proposed truth and i added in knowledge or was it the other way around i said knowledge and, and you I said, said truth because okay, we had talked about sense, knowledge actually. before. Okay, yeah, I feel like that makes sense. Um, so you mentioned that you have a visualization, kind of like the Rube Goldberg machine. You have a visualization for this concept. Yeah. You want to talk through it now, or do you want to save it till we get further into the episode? I'm I'm trying to recall it right now, <laughs> and I don't know if it necessarily. I, I guess it falls. Um under knowledge um i guess start you have a point you like you're there's just a let's say a page okay like you, a white page you put a dot and then you draw however many dots that form the smallest circle around your dot okay but your dot is also all of human knowledge so every single one of those dots is somewhere in the knowledge sphere so like one of those is fire and then another is uh, some other possible knowledge um, and on and on as you uh, keep going. Um, so you've got that initial sphere. And so like one of the first technologies that we discovered was fire. So you got the dot for fire. Great. Now, once you figure out fire, 
that opens up a whole bunch of other things, a whole bunch of other possibilities that ends up being something like either a piece of a pie or half a pie or something bigger like that. And uh, the way that knowledge works is that you have that one dot leads to more pie. So with the scientific method, we ask a question and we can get a really close answer to that piece of knowledge and we grasp that piece of knowledge. But once we get there, it's not like we're ever done with mm. that space. Because once we get to that one location, then there's a hundred other questions to that point. Um, to and quote so the philosopher Master Qui-Gon Jinn from episode one of Star Wars, there's always a bigger fish. It's <laughs> true. Um, yeah, so that idea is that then over time you would have these, uh, I guess it would look like a web of dots that interconnect together. And I set a piece of paper because it's the easiest thing to visualize, but it's probably 3D, 4D, however many dimensions, because there will be interconnects. So the dimensionality um, of knowledge. Ooh. Yeah. So like if we're talking about that current, like a book title, <laughs> the dimensionality of knowledge. I mean, the, the concept of mapping all knowledge really entices me from more of a morbid curiosity standpoint mm. of, well, where are we at right now in, in the va vast scheme of things? Um, we talked about that a little bit this last weekend. I think it was this last weekend. Um, but yeah, mm. whenever we went to the bar. Yeah, it'd be interesting to... Mo yeah, it'd be interesting also... And this would be kind of impossible to do, obviously, as I'm about to explain it. But if we could map knowledge mm -hmm. and the interconnectivity of knowledge, that would also, you know, now, given the internet and a global economy and such, yep, that'd be a fairly large, uniform, you know, 3D or 4D network or whatever. But you think about when cultures were more separated, if you could dial it back throughout history and view it at different points, it'd be really interesting to see where like, you know, there was probably a knowledge cloud that would have represented, you know, the Incan civilization or the mm -hmm. Mayan civilization mm -hmm. that was separated from other clouds, you know, yep. be that by geography and language and such, but that was just eventually eliminated without really getting to continue. Um, it'd be interesting to then you could almost like map knowledge clouds like a taxonomic chart in biology where you see how like species branch you could see oh, how okay. like knowledge yeah, yeah. clouds branch yeah throughout time huh maybe that could be your like fourth dimension I mean what would be really cool would be yeah that maybe that that fourth dimension but also so you have one society and then in another. And so at any one time, you can see all the knowledge that has been captured and where people thrive and don't. But also what knowledge has been captured before, but mm -hmm. but also hasn't. So like you could also see how societies developed in parallel without knowledge of each other. Yep. But had mirroring knowledge yep. concepts. Yep. Um, and I think one of the reasons why it would have to be probably even more than 4D in terms of like the actual visualization somehow is because then you start to have the interconnects of those knowledge 
trees. So like uh, my background in uh, bioinformatics, it's a combination of biology, but then also computer science and uh, statistics and all yeah. all these combinations. Um, and then in the future, that'll be more and more that way. I mean, all a lot of the branches of current engineering and science all come from physics backgrounds. So you would kind of have that core, but then it branches out so much that there would be a lot of overlap in various ways. Um, but that would be really cool. Um, but essentially what I'm saying is we will never have enough knowledge no. about the universe, but I think it also helps explain why it feels like it's getting more difficult to know, to become like an expert in many different fields. Mm. Because unless you're an because expert in fields that are kind of associated with it, with each other, there, there's a lot more to learn. We have the ability to learn a lot more now than we did in the past. So, we so have, there's more yeah. knowledge that yeah. can be attained. There's more paths any that you would have to a traverse. Thing. Yeah. Hmm. So like if you're talking uh, mathematics, it's really easy to kind of go from between mathematics and physics because usually, usually physics takes the work of mathematics and applies it to the natural yes. world. Um, with electrical engineering, there's the co computer hardware design or there's like the power electronics side. Um, people tend to specialize in one of those two because there's just a depth of knowledge that you have to have there, mm -hmm. even though they're so close and they're usually the same major, mm. like even 15 years ago, but now they're, separate majors one yes electrical engineering and some choose power electronics but then others and then there's the computer engineering which focuses more on hardware design but then in my case i went over to uh data and analytics and all that so mm. it, it's interesting that like to put that visualization out there and then yeah mm. yeah so question for you yes are knowledge and truth different? Yes. How are they different? Um, so I'm going to come again from my background in machine learning. Um, You're speaking from your background? My background. How what? dare it? So the base, basic concept of machine learning is you take data. So imagine you have an Excel file that has three columns, X, Y, and Z. And then um, you're trying to create some function that maps the values X and Y, those columns to what the output Z is. Mm. Um, so an example of that sort of function would be like, if Z is three and X and Y are two and one, then X plus Y equals Z would be a function of that. Um, or, and so on and yes. so forth. But you don't know that with machine learning. You don't know what the function is. You are trying to create the best approximation, the best model. Um, so when you're training that, you give it real raw data, like real world information. <clears throat> and then to verify like how, how the model is doing, you compare it to a validation data set where it's also known as ground truth, mm. which is here's the axis, here's, here's the output Y. Um, you give in the out inputs X and Y and compare it to 
the output z like let's call mm-hmm. it z prime and so then it's compare, like a control you know yeah. what the output should be if it's yep. learned correctly correct and so you would have one evaluation of how well the model does is you do the uh, mean squared error uh, mm. or the square root of that usually um, just to get a more uh, static statistic. Mm. Um, and the idea being is the closer you are to zero, the closer you are to being perfect on ground truth. Mm. I think the difficulty is, is uh, humans, we try and do that. We try and get to that ground truth, mm-hmm. but we we have that error. We're not going to always be zero percent error, um, yeah. and I think that also falls under what what like the learning process and knowledge actually are. I was gonna ask so because this idea of the ground truth is making me think that in many cases your ground truth is in in that scenario is going to be relative to what your system is and what questions you're asking, you know? Yeah. And because it makes me think of, you know, um, from a normal understanding, I can say, you know, gravity is real. There's a Mm -hmm. force of gravity. If I drop something, it will fall. That is true. And it's falling because there's a force, there's gravitational acceleration pulling it towards the ground and i can say that's true and it is mm-hmm. but then we get into higher levels of understanding with relativity and yep. such things where suddenly you're like okay yep gravity's actually n- more it's a real thing it, but it's not a force yep it, it's a bending of space time mm-hmm. and there's lots of complex math that goes into that and so there it's where it's like okay my knowledge of it has changed the truth that gravity exists has not Mm -hmm. but the nature of that truth relative to my understanding has and but if you know in a given system that ground truth you know it can be true for me to say to you know tell a, a computer okay this is gravitational acceleration that is true. That, mm-hmm. that it's you know it's true relative to the system. The questions we're asking, even if in reality there is no such thing as gravitational acceleration, really, from a relativistic per- perspective. Yeah. Um. So I I think kind of put that into a, like not a box, but to put it funny enough into a model. I think uh, humans have this tendency to kind of put things into a box, something that they can understand. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's just kind of generally true. Yeah. Ah, truth. Um, <laughs> um, but so part of that is when you talk about gravity, um, Newton came up with his laws around gravity. Yes. And those ended up being equations. Now those equations work well on big things. Um, whereas uh, quantum gravity works really well on small things but they're two different equations they're two different models yeah um one of the things that the physics community has been trying to do is combine them into a larger model yeah um and i think that is part of the learning process so if you think about how at least this is how i i learn now and work is it's a lot less of memorizing what 
what to remember mm-hmm. and more of trying things and figuring out what doesn't work until something works. Yes. And then working with that thing as it works until it breaks or it doesn't mm. work anymore. So you expand that piece of knowledge in one area. Um, so you can try a whole bunch of di- a whole bunch of those different points and start knocking out. Well, that point doesn't work. That point doesn't work. That point doesn't work. You try something, maybe it fails, but then later on, some knowledge farther farther on applies back. Yes. And you go, oh, actually, I can apply that to this little knowledge gap here. Mm-hmm. And it turns out this specific piece of knowledge breaks out into an even larger space. Yes. Um, so I think knowledge is the process of failing and figuring out what doesn't work and then coming to something kind of works or does work and then you create that as your model so almost knowledge is a process of forming our own models of how we think the universe works yes and experientially experientially and then that from our own experience or from others yes and i think one of the issues if we if we get a little i don't know if it's political but i think one of the issues with like modern day education Mm. is kids are taught what to memorize Mm. from the knowledge that we've captured thus far, but not necessarily how to question that knowledge or Or get to to that point. Because kids today don't necessarily, and this is in my case growing up in high school, you didn't have to figure out why um, some chemical reaction happened that was done by a team of scientists and originally physicists mm. working on that together to come up with that axiom or that theorem or that, yeah. that portion of knowledge. And so now that becomes part of the general cultural zeitgeist of that's knowledge. You used the Z word. Zeitgeist. Um, <laughs> didn't even mean to. It just happened. Whenever uh, I hear zeitgeist, I think it's a horror movie. <laughs> And then I, it, it just sounds like a, like a term to me, uh, even though I know that that's not what it means. So now, now that I said word and means, I'm going to have to do my typical Daniel thing and pull out the old dictionary while we're talking. Okay. But I, I think that's the process of knowledge is what we call knowledge or fact is something that we figured out close enough to, mm. to create a good enough model for yes um and most of the time it works great so like physics is a great example especially as an engineer yes physics is great but if you use a physics equation and expect to have the physics equation actually working in the real world it does not. It is. you mean all objects aren't spherical and exist in a vacuum (laughs) what (laughs) So it's it's one of those things of like it th- there's lots of losses that aren't accounted for in those equations on their own, and it's really hard to try and combine all those models together. So, for the record, zeitgeist, a general intellectual, moral, and cultural climate of an era. Hmm. So yeah, to say current zeitgeist yeah absolutely accurate current zeitgeist but i I suppose to say cultural zeitgeist is a bit 
redundant because the word itself implies culture. Cool. The things you learn that it has nothing to do with haunted houses. <laughs> Even though it sounds like it should. So I've been tossing this topic a bit. Okay. In my brain. Yes. And I'm going to ask some questions you've probably been asked before, Uh-oh. but I'm curious. Okay. Uh, is truth relative? No. I would agree with that. But I think what you are talking about in regards to truth changes based on the questions that you're asking. Mm. So if you're talking about scientific truth versus moral or philosoph- philosophical truth, I don't think those necessarily are the same thing. Mm. I don't think there is. Interesting. Yeah. Because as I was thinking about this, I guess I'd say for myself, I would feel like in my own processing of life, I think, you know, philosophy and science and other things are different methods of pursuing truth. Okay. Um, And that I think truth is objective or absolute but the experience of truth is subjective or relative um and and i think that holds you know more like when we talk about philosophy where it's like science you know that it's a little bit of a tighter thing of you know okay um with a gravity example, it's like there's different ways we can model gravity, whether mm-hmm. it be, a, a, you know, an Einstein relativity style thing or for everyday stuff, we can go Newtonian. Mm-hmm. Uh, both are great models, different knowledge boxes we have made to describe this phenomenon that definitely is a real thing. Uh, versus philosophy, I think, is a little, you know, a l- gets a little bit more into the uh, experiential mm-hmm. side. Um, so, because I guess what I always think of is like, you know, um, you know, I can be like, okay, the the shirt I'm wearing is blue. Mm-hmm. That that is true. John can confirm. I am wearing a blue shirt. Yes, and it's got like a kraken on it or something like yes, that. Yes, it does. It has a a giant kraken wearing a boat for a hat with Ooh. a big bottle in his hands. <laughs> it's one of my favorite shirts. Um. But, and that's true. It's a blue mm-hmm. shirt. Yeah. But the experience of that is going to be quite different for different people where, you know, if, if you're you colorblind are, to blue, you wouldn't be able to see that it's blue. Or distinguish it from some yeah. other color, yeah. you know, or, you know, someone who might be a little bit more artistically adept than I am might mm-hmm. say, oh, that's not a, that shirt's not blue. It's cyan or mm-hmm. it's turquoise yeah. or it's. They're going to pick some specific kind of blue. Become a little bit pretentious about the color. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe so, you know. Persnickety. Um, <laughs> you know, or someone else might be like, you know, if someone else, I, I'm just imagining like, say I was in front of a panel of different authors. Mm-hmm. And they're all trying to describe me as a character in their book. Yep. You know, some of them might say, oh, yeah, he was wearing a blue shirt. Or, no, mm-hmm. he was, his shirt was cyan. Or, mm-hmm. And then the next person is going to be like, he was wearing a shirt. Yep. Someone else is like, he was wearing a cotton shirt. All of those are true. 
but they're different subjective you know experiences of that truth um now i think that we have to recognize there that it's like okay experience is different than truth and experience can be false mm-hmm. and that where two experiences of a given truth contradict there are cases where those can't both be true mm-hmm. and i think that's something that societally i've kind of been intrigued by you know because i'd say um you know probably around when i was ending high school beginning college at that point it was certainly you know if you asked people it it was you know most popular in society to be like okay truth is relative you know i can have my truth and you can have your truth and we can both exist and you know they can both be true um which is like yeah i can say okay our experiences of truth can be different but the truth itself if the two truths are contradictory, they can't both be true. Um, which was not necessarily a very popular idea, you know, 10 years ago. But I think increasingly, I think things are actually starting to shy back away from that idea in society. Um, I think especially in recent years with um, things like, you know, you know fake news and people you know famous figures tweeting things that aren't true and you know issues with elections and blah 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 and all these things and people getting really angry about the fact that it's like oh these people in power are saying things that aren't true yep you know and i think that has increasingly fueled a sense of hmm okay Maybe not all things can be true at the same time, you know? So I think that's just been an interesting thing culturally to observe in the last 10 years or so, I'd say. And would you say that that changes mostly due to COVID, like the Mm. around COVID? Or do you think that that was happening beforehand? I think it was happening beforehand. Um, But I I, I think that that tends... But I think COVID has... think that has tended to exacerbate covid but what's interesting is i think there's still on the i guess more social side more of that relative like well i'm living my truth or yes and i think i think that is true that there is this i think there is still very much a large current of you know live your truth which I think there is aspects of that that I would agree with that you should live in accordance with how you currently experience and believe things to work, you know? Um, But um, yeah, I mean, I think this shift has probably been a lot. If I were to just guess, Mm -hmm. I think it'd be a mixture of COVID. Definitely. Um, but I think even before that, you know, the most recent prior presidency probably affected that. Um, and I think there's been a lot of social justice, you know, good social justice movements in mm-hmm. recent years that I think have also affected that where people have been like, okay, actually just saying, oh, we can both, you know, I can be true and you can be true has actually been used to fuel a lot of hurt in society. And to ignore and marginalize people to just be like, okay, yeah, you live your truth over there. Mm-hmm. Quiet from me. 
yep. you know, and don't don't talk about it or or make a fuss about it away from me. And yet, and people have been like, wait a second, no, like you're not both right. You know, one of you is in power and you're using that to abuse people and that's not okay, you know? And so I think that's been something where I think societally we've started to realize that, okay, it sounds good on paper to say truth is relative, live your truth. Let's all live in Mm -hmm. peace. But you're like, yeah, but we're people. Yeah. And people will, will, you know, use that to hurt each other and it has been used to hurt people yeah i think actually i think that explains a lot of the turmoil at least that i see like in the news media world Mm. but then also with like actually the response to covid Mm. of um when it, it when it initially started all coming out there was uh it was claimed by the cdc that masks won't help yeah with covid yep we are almost two years later or at least um, that you shouldn't pursue getting a mask yes um and what they should have said what because they knew this at the time is they knew that masks actually did help but they were trying to give it get it to hospital workers so that they they actually had the proper protective equipment what should have been low supply and we didn't know what was coming yes Correct. And so what probably should have been said was something along the lines of, okay, masks will help, but we, as a scientific community and as a health organization community, ask you to please stay home yeah, and go out as infrequently as you can right now, because we are trying to get protective equipment for our hospitals. Which is so tough because there it's like you want to say that that's what we should have said. But at the same time, you're like considering our response just measured through toilet paper. Yep, exactly. I don't think that would have gone well. (laughs) Well, it's what. But then, yeah, because everybody's out for themselves and that's a difficulty. But then at the same time, we're a year and a half, two years later, and it feels like the scientific community or some small portions of the scientific community have taken the we are the face of science Mm. and we own science Mm. therefore listen to us Mm. which i think flies in the face of the mental model that i just proposed earlier around knowledge Mm. where knowledge is not centralized because not any one person can know all that yes any one human can know all that um, so limiting it to just a select few people, um, in, in science. Yeah. And then there becomes an in-group of, in even in the immunology or well, what is it? Not immunology, whatever, uh, uh, dang it. I'm blanking on the thing. Uh, epidemiology Mm. um in epidemiology there are people who disagree with what is currently happening Mm. but it's uh only a small group of people who are in power in the u.s yeah who are leading that discussion i'm not saying that that group is wrong yeah or that they're right i am saying that they have staked a claim that they are 
the only experts to listen to. Mm. And then it becomes in the news world of, well, we have a, we are the source of truth or they are trying to claim that source of truth as their own. Um, Because when there was this more relativistic truth 10 years ago, you were able to have an MSNBC who was way on the left. You were able to have a Fox News who was way on the right. And you were able to have a CNN who was kind of in the middle, but more on the Mm. left. Because they saw different sides of the story and spoke different truths. But now everybody... It has escalated because we've realized that it can't all be true. It can't all be true, but at the same time, they're probably not all wrong in some way, shape, or form. If we're talking about Mm. the old metaphor of an elephant and five blind men touching an elephant, well, it's really long, like the the nose, it's really long and rough. Somebody touches the leg... Well, it's actually, uh, yeah, really sturdy, like a tree trunk. Somebody yeah. touches the tail. Well, it's got hair, and then somebody's right by the uh, butthole, and uh, <laughs> it's really stinky. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I will be honest. So the elephant metaphor has actually always really bothered me. Really? Why? Yeah. Uh, on the one hand, I think it touches on some good things. Again, of we experience truth differently. Yep. And there's a difference between experience and objective truth. Yep. I think in that regard, to prove that or to be used to illustrate that, Mm -hmm. I think it's a good metaphor uh, for that, that people experience different aspects of truth. Um, I think... However, when it's used to say either there is no absolute truth or when it's used to be like, I guess what, what I, what I don't appreciate about it is that they're like, oh, you know, everybody observes. Everybody their one, has their own truth about yes, what the everyone has their, truth. their one aspect of the truth that they're experiencing, yep. um, you know, and you know, the one who is seeing the elephant's leg is saying, oh, it's it's really, really thick and thick-skinned, and the ones that's seeing the, you know, the, yep. the trunk is like, no, it's not. It's like a snake. It's like really flexible, and it's not that thick. But the issue with that is that we're assuming that the person telling the story knows what an elephant looks like. Yep. And that then you're like, okay, yes, but now you're setting yourself up as a person who does know the objective truth yep so you're basically what you're saying is okay no one knows objective truth except me and that's not what i necessarily mean no yeah, exactly yeah. but i'm saying it, i in, totally in i totally agree yes that way you know yep. where i'm like ah. and i have the i have the truth and that's yeah. and that's where you get into these issues of again with the epidemiology they believe they have the truth yeah Whereas there are other people who are questioning that and saying there seem to be some flaws here. Maybe they're true. Maybe yeah. maybe those um, flaws are correct or and that's not, where not I think true. It's important in but, science to say, to never say in science this is the truth, yep. but to say this is our 
This is our understanding. This is our understanding. This is our. In other words, this is our knowledge. Yep. Well, that's why. Which may change in light of new evidence. That's the nature of science. Yeah, and that's why you talk about the scientific method. How Mm -hmm. they're based off of hypotheses. Yep. Hypotheses and tests. Feels like in modern culture, though, or in the culture we currently live in, um, it has gone to sciences has these sets of yes. facts and those facts are static and they never change which is just not true yeah it just isn't um but yeah to the to the the trunk thing that's the, the elephant thing that's why you have the issues of these news medias saying well this is this is the truth we are the source of the truth and it's like no you are seeing one part of the elephant yes I don't know what the elephant is. Nobody on the earth yeah. really knows what the elephant is. But that's also where I think you can kind of go back to the uh, knowledge tree, mm. knowledge knowledge uh, gap, or science, science methodologies of creating a model. Well, Fox is describing this, CNN is describing this, and MSNBC is describing this. What are they all describing does it match a model of a elephant mm. or like combining all those new sources together? What, mm. what are they kind of outlining mm. rather than their versions of what that looks yeah. like? I'm going to do what I do. Maybe not best, but at least frequently. <laughs> okay. I'm going to turn this towards our favorite topic, religion. Oh, Okay. <laughs> he said with slight hesitance in his voice. Okay. Because what I'm imagining hearing one of our many thousands of listeners back home thinking to themselves, now wait a second, buddy. You've made it pretty clear in previous episodes you adhere to some flavor of Christian beliefs. Yep. And you just said that you don't like the elephant analogy because it makes up whoever's saying it claims as if they know the objective truth and that that hits you oddly because you don't think any human really truly knows the objective truth because we're all experiencing in our own ways that doesn't seem to hold up because in the bible you've got this jesus guy who says he literally is the truth that seems like the opposite of what you just said and i would agree um and I think that's something that it can, that's actually something that I think on a, a religious aspect does bother me about um, the fairly common statement in, in, in modern culture of, um, you know, the historical Jesus was a really good moral teacher. He was, he was a good guy and he taught good things. He wasn't God. He taught good things. I'm like, um, you look at what he said. He really wasn't like he was I either. He, he had to like the only way you make claims of being literally not just knowing the absolute truth, but literally being the absolute truth is it's like either you actually are God or you're insane. Like those are your two options. He's not a good teacher though. Like he did a lot of like, according to the laws, around him he did a lot of things very wrong he literally flipped tables and destroyed and and claiming 
claiming that your god was kind of a big no-no in that culture. That's kind of like not something you're supposed to do. Um, so I think it's just, I, I think that's something that I also find fascinating. I think, I mean, truth in general, I think is an interesting concept to think about. But when I, when I think towards my own beliefs, um, you know, I always find it interesting when truth is brought up um, in biblical books and they're, they're brought up, it's brought up a surprising amount, especially in the gospels when you have things like Jesus making statements of, you know, I am the truth. Uh, to then you even have things of Pontius Pilate having his famous rebuttal of what is truth, you know, and that that's something that I think society is still asking today. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think in that way, I find a lot of, uh, value just in a lot of those um themes there you know that i think yeah there's a lot worth worth thinking about in there even if you don't necessarily ascribe to christian beliefs and i again i think it uh i'll sound like a broken record i think if you took together all of the Christian experiences mm. or the descriptions across, uh, if you were to have, you know, kind of consolidate them and find the, the center of all the Venn diagrams overlap. If you, yeah. If you took, took all the denominations, Catholic, Lutheran, uh, Episcopalian, all, all these various different, um, I was trying to come up with de the weirdest denomination name I could off the top of my head. And I couldn't <laughs> think of one evangelical covenant no i grew up in that one they're pretty cool um very small uh but pretty cool um i always like really really long church denomination names <laughs> quick side tangent i just love really really long church names i i uh i was on a mission trip once and we are staying at grace fellowship united methodist church which was really long and we didn't want to say where are you staying? Oh, we're staying at Grace Fellowship United Methodist Church every single time. So we abbre abbreviated it to the Gefumpch. <laughs> <laughs> so we just called it the Gefumpch. I appreciate that. <laughs> Where are you guys staying? The Gefumpch. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, continue. I think you were on a good point there that if we were yeah. to... Find the overlap between a lot of these different denominations between all of them, of rather God, than probably get a closer. Yeah. So, like, uh, we, you and I, yeah. are not Catholic. Um, no, we are a not. good friend of ours is not Catholic. Um, so, but a different friend of ours is. Yes. Several good friends of mine yes. are Catholic. So I'm not trash talking Catholics, but at the same time. We also do trash talk Catholics because there are some things that just don't make sense to us. Mm. Um, one, uh, praying to saints. It just isn't an, a it's thing. It's not part of your experience. It's not at all a thing. Yeah. I believe outside the Catholic Church, but I might be overstepping my bounds there. There's probably another yeah. denomination that does. Um, but may maybe that really is something mm. that like is part of someone's experience well someone's experience but also kind of getting at the truth that exists mm. in that the truth not the truth that exists in that space the truth mm. um and so you get those overlaps and you start to uh 
plotted in a point cloud or something like that yep. so that each point kind of maps out what god actually mm. looks like and is um i guess you wouldn't see it but yeah. <laughs> so this is creating an interesting thought in my brain yeah so we as humans the way our brains work mm-hmm. we're not great at retaining just facts mm-hmm. we're not great at that which is odd considering most of our education is pertaining to the memorization, memorization of, facts of facts that we will forget yep um what is the powerhouse of the cell the mitochondria see that's one of the few things that everybody remembers yep. at least in western united states education i mean we are a little biased here especially considering that yep. i am a you know i work with cells uh yep. but yes pretty much everyone remembers that ironically no one was uh, taught how to you know pay bills uh huh. you know <laughs> which is problematic but um I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, the the human brain, we we aren't great at retaining factual truth. Mm-hmm. But we're really, really, really good at retaining experience. Yep. And so I think I find something interesting that and I find value in this, that even though, you know, I think our experience of truth by nature is colored by the fact that it's experience yep which means that you know my understanding of the truth is probably in some way shape or form flawed or simplified compared to the actual reality mm-hmm. you know or perhaps overly complicated in some cases at the same time we are experiential creatures and i find hope in that that it's like okay we're optimized to experience and Mm -hmm. to remember that um and that i think you know again you know on a a religious side i think i that's something i appreciate about my faith is that it is a experiential faith you know to a degree and that it's it's not that you know you have to attempt to rid yourself of as much humanity to make your experience as close to truth as possible rather the truth being like oh hey i'm here just experience me and like you won't get it all Mm -hmm. that's okay you Mm -hmm. don't have to um i find a lot of hope in that and i find that kind of compelling big yawn ah that that was a john yawn that was a john yawn um you say that fast enough, it starts to sound like onion. John Yun. John Yun. Onion. John's are like onions. Got layers. layers. Am I Shrek now? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Does that make me donkey? Donkey. I donkey. I donkey. Do you, ha- nice do you have waffles? Folder. <laughs> in the morning, I make a waffle. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because I feel like Donkey is like the quintessential extroverted cartoon character. And you are not. I'm so not. Quick 
uh, side tangent there. I mentioned today in lab that I was introverted, mm-hmm. which people who know me well know that. Yes. People who don't know me well are invariably shocked by that. <laughs> like, no way. You're you not. Yes, no. you are such an extrovert. And I'm like, you think that. But just be because wrong. I'm being very social right now and talking to you. But as soon as this conversation's done, I'm going to go to my apartment and not see humans for 15 hours and recharge. <laughs> yep. I can attest to this. <laughs> I was talking with someone uh the other day and i was saying how someone was asking me why i didn't um go to a super bowl party Mm -hmm. i was saying well i teach monday mornings (laughs) and i teach for like two to three hours usually yeah and it's kind of a small setting so it's it's not even just like lecturing it's like it's a cross between lecturing and just having a two-hour conversation with people you don't know that well Mm -hmm. which is very taxing for me very enjoyable but very taxing and so i was telling him how i was like i have to like after church on sunday i usually don't see people after that because i'm charging up for monday and then i teach and then i don't really hang out with people again until the end of tuesday Jeez, that is how i work so, in any your case, poor future wife <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll take that one I, yeah, i'm not gonna fight that one i think this is why i'm like you know uh you know whoever i date i'm always like you you gotta enjoy reading <laughs> mostly because that's gonna be a thing that happens <laughs> like, i enjoy reading so it's also just that, but it's also like, yeah, we're going to need to be able to value silence sometimes. <laughs> but, <laughs> so in any case, that's my side tangent on introversion. Um, <laughs> but yes, I, I think it's interesting that we're experiential creatures and that we actually do a much better job of retaining experiences than we do retaining facts that are not related to an experience, which I think also gets into the aspect of how we love stories which is going to be a future episode yes quick plug quick plug for some future episode as a book the nerd future. i am so excited for that episode <laughs> just gonna... he has been talking about it actually since before the podcast i think gonna start smacking we, stories we need to down. talk about stories what is the be throwing, what is the purpose throwing out brando sandos yep. left and right <laughs> gonna be a gonna be a day so yeah, I think going back to truth and knowledge, getting to the core of what we're talking about, core. getting away from donkey and introversion and uh, future podcast getting episodes, the core workout. getting to the core, the abs of the episode. I think that you were talking about us being experiential. I think the thing that we forget about is that 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 our process of learning is all about experience and then coalescing general experience into a larger thing. Yes. Um, So it's uh, the the saying in science and especially engineering is uh, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Yep. um, Which is attributed to Sir Isaac Newton originally, I believe. I believe so, but I 
I never believed. It was attributed to Isaac Newton on the statue in my old school. I never believed those things anymore, you know? <laughs> Ends fair. up being always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but we stand on the shoulder of giants being we they got to a certain point of knowledge and then we expand upon that and build mm. upon that. Um, and I think generally in religion, politics, science, general life i think science is the only science philosophy maybe academia is the only area where we generally kind of take that for granted or not for granted but we take that and utilize it and it's part of the course yeah um and so these various aspects that we have are the closest thing that we have to something that is true Mm. not the core truth because i think but we can always get is, closer to the truth. Yes. So going all the way back to machine learning, it starts from ran- randomness. Yep. Starts with random numbers, the, the uh, random numbers, random weights, and the algorithms are kind of different in, in, in various different ways, but that's a whole nother topic. Um, but the process of getting there is um, updating those random values to be closer and closer to something that gets Mm. to that truth. And so we're talking about the human experience. Daniel and John experienced the world in maybe similar ways. And so we come to a similar kind of truth Um, or or what we have experienced, what is true thus far. But then we have to combine what we have experienced and the knowledge that we've gained combine it with others to have a better picture mm-hmm. of what that is in that specific small area yeah um i bet if we could somehow visualize your experience and my experience i think we would be surprised both by the number of similarities and how much and how also different by the differences yeah i think we'd be surprised by both i agree I agree. So I'm going to bring in a quote that I heard today. Rattling around in my brain. Really like it. I was in a seminar with a professor who studies brain organoids. Okay. So he like grows, differentiates stem cells into nerve neurons. Yeah. And then basically grows these little conglomerates that are basically like very, very small rudimentary brains. They're, you know, a fraction of a millimeter big. They're pretty small. Um, but they show, like, neural firing patterns and all these things. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that all the really interesting phenomena with neural firing and such happen in the space between silence and synchrony. And it's making me think here that it's like a lot of our experience, our human experience exists in this space between silence and synchrony where you have silence on the one hand where there's there's nothing and you've got synchrony on the other hand where you've got this perfect model that is just jiving with the absolute truth Mm -hmm. and that the human experience exists in that space between the two and that there's confusion associated with that space but there's also you know, that's where I think all of human experience sits, though. All science, philosophy, art is in that space between silence and synchrony. Um, 
So synchrony being order. Sure. Make it what you will. Order or accuracy or, you know, in his case, he was saying, you know, it was between having no neurons firing and having them all firing in synchronous beats that would actually simulate true, um, like, brain activity. Okay. And that there's a, there's a space in the middle there where the, the nerves and neurons are learning how to coordinate mm-hmm. their activity. Um, but I think I, I'm generalizing it now to mm-hmm. more of a, a human experience level. You're chuckling. <laughs> Did you ever watch that YouTube video that I sent you? It was Which like one? pretty late at night. Probably not. I probably um, fell <laughs> you said you would watch it in the morning, but I also don't uh, don't blame you. Did I lie to you? You probably did. Did I not tell you the truth? How dare you? No. Um, <laughs> I, I was uh, too busy experiencing sleep. So you will have to watch it. I will okay. link it in the description uh, of this. It is okay. It is a really, really, really funny joke, but it is a great way of describing math. And okay. the reason I'm going on this tangent is because you've, you've made me think of it. Something to do with metric paper, right? Uh, or is that the other one? No, I, yeah, it's a different one. But okay. I sent you, continue. I sent you in the continue. metric paper one. But that one's cool too. Um, Clearly, I haven't watched it either. <laughs> Shame! Shame! So, uh, I believe it's in chaos theory, but I don't, I don't remember it cor- correctly. There is a number uh, created by a, a mathematician um, whose last name was Graham. He created this number that is so incomprehensible that you actually can't think of it. Um, it's just really big? It's incredibly big. And okay. the reason he came up with the number is because uh, the, the question was, uh, when does order appear? Okay. So, um, essentially, it's this big, massive number. Um, how do I describe it? Uh, very simply, two to the two. So two to the two, two squared is yes. four, right? So in a in a notation that was created by a guy that I actually mentioned earlier, Donald Knuth, um, in a previous episode. He came up with the up arrow notation. Um, so two up arrow two would be two squared. But if you did two up arrow three, it would be two to the two to the two. Mm, okay. So um and then double up arrow would be so if you did two double up arrow two, it would be two up arrow two up arrow two. So it, it yeah. It's yes. getting real big and real so fast. And so it gets real big real fast. Um, so Starting I think they're... to sound like cheat codes in a video game. Yes. Two up arrow, up arrow, two. <laughs> double jump, double jump, B to the side. And I believe that it starts getting to the point where it goes like 10, triple up arrow, three. And then you take that number and then create that many up arrows and then that many up arrows and keep, keep going up there. So you get to G0, which is like... A massive number. The most ridiculous massive number. Take G0 arrows, and that's G1, all the way up to G64, and that's Graham's number. Okay. And so, so 
they don't know what the beginning parts of the number is, but it ends in seven. So, of course it does. <laughs> it is it does. somewhere between six. Order happens somewhere between six and this massive number that ends in the number seven. Just wait, why? Like, what? What do you mean by order? Um, in 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 chaos theory, like when does I don't remember when what all the de- the details are. I don't remember what the okay. proof was exactly for. But it was trying to create a, an understanding of what the range is of if you have just random thing like let's say random things on a wall. At what point does order come out of it? So basically, how big does the system have to be for there to be some semblance of order? Yes, in some portion of it. Yes, so it'd basically be like okay. Yeah, I, I don't fully remember all the details. The reason I remember this is just because it's a really, really good joke. Um, really funny. I really appreciated it. Um, okay. Are, are you going to tell the joke? No, I can't because I can't. I I can't because the video does such a good job. Okay. But okay. it is also 17 minutes long. Thousands but it is the listeners. Watch the video linked below. It is the best 17-minute joke ever. You are selling this very hard right <laughs> it now. It is amazing but so getting on the order like of uh gosh what were you talking about before what was i talking about before it was something and then it sparked my thought thoughts on order um oh the space between uh nothing and synchronicity the space between silence and synchrony yes um and how did that feedback i don't know your experience not mine <laughs> there's truth in there somewhere but we are experiences experiencing like 50 percent of this conversation the same ish maybe i love how this started as knowledge and truth and i feel like it's really become more of experience and truth experience and truth i'm i mean knowledge changes quite a bit i think experience is experience the path between knowledge and truth I wouldn't necessarily say so. I, I mean, experience is the way that you can get knowledge or you can skip it by learning that knowledge without going through experience. Okay. But so, you're learning from someone else's experience. Yes. So you are piggybacking off of somebody else. Experience piracy. Yes. Is that not what engineering school is? Yeah, basically. I mean, it's what most learning is. Um good friend of mine in college the way he described engineering school which i think applies really well in engineering but i think the rest of school as well or other fields is that it's like running to catch up to a train that is speeding by Mm. meaning that the train is already going it's not going to slow down for you there is a wealth of knowledge that has already been captured and generated and people are building upon that and keeping going. Mm. And so the process of engineering or of going through engineering school is getting yourself up to the train and then running fast enough that you can get on the train. Yes. And then I added this part, getting a job in engineering or being in the engineering field in some way, shape or form outside of classes is the process of either grabbing somebody and pulling yourself onto the train or grabbing onto it and yanking yourself up. Mm. 
I always had the analogy in engineering school of I always told people that an engineering major is like running away from a bear. <laughs> you don't actually have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than the person next to you. <laughs> and that's what's building our society, folks. <laughs> it's a good thing we don't build bridges. It's just like it was well, just like there was so much do. that it was like there's a lot of knowledge here and I am not going to get an A plus in every one of these classes. Oh no. But I was like, eh, but there's a lot of classes where it was like, you don't need to get an A to get an A. You just need to do a certain margin better than the average person to get an A. Yes. So all you had, you didn't have to run faster than the bear. You just had to run faster than the average person who got eaten by the bear. Oh boy, zero sum game there. Whew. It's not a zero sum game. I didn't get eaten by the bear. <laughs> yeah, but it was either you or the other guy. That's how you made it sound. Therefore, I mean, it zero wasn't sum. just the, there were there were lots of guys. It could have been any of them. Yeah, true. Um, and luck plays a role. Sometimes you trip on a rock and the bear gets you. <laughs> I one time showed up an hour and twenty minutes late to a two hour final. I was top of the class before that final. <laughs> I still got an A minus in the class. Oh boy. My best my best friend in the class ended up getting the top grade in the class and he was like, I felt really bad for you that you were late and you had to take it in 40 minutes, but also I was really happy because now I got the highest grade in the class. <laughs> it was great though because like people knew I was good at that course. But I like I forgot like I just didn't know it was that day like I just I thought it was the next day ah. and I wake up to an email from my professor saying are you planning on taking this exam no so I Oof. sprint I mean I was like yes I am but no and I <laughs> sprinted to, to campus and I was like all right I did study well for this so I know what I'm doing but I won't have enough time to actually like do well on this What's exam I just plan? need to like do okay yep I need to just retain as much grades as I can. And, and then on top of that, I was like, I just need, there's no sense in going in there and being groveling or just being like overly emotional about it. People are going to notice that I walk in late anyways. I walk in late. My professor is waiting for me on the stage at the front of the classroom with my exam. And he said, like loudly in front of the class. He's like, what happened? And I said, I don't know, sir. And he said, how are you feeling? And I said, ready to kick ass, sir. <laughs> Grab the exam sat down. Uh, in the end, I got a 51. Uh, but the average was a 53. So the, uh, the best thing about that was that was end of my fourth year. Uh, by the end of my fifth year, I had friends. Well, the funny thing was even the day after that, I had people who weren't in the class mm -hmm. walking up to me and congratulating me on the story. Like the story had spread amongst the major. <laughs> By the time I graduated a year later, my friends told me that they overheard freshmen telling the story. <laughs> and by the time the freshmen told the story, their version of the story was I took the two hour exam in 20 minutes 
and got an A and kept the highest grade in the class. <laughs> like the, the story quickly got drastically out of hand and I just let it. See, the truth got... Exactly. It... Tr the truth... Ooh, okay. Okay, this is going to be my bridge into okay. the story episode. This is just going to be my teaser okay. for the story episode. So I guess the story episode is next, huh? I think so. All right. Here's my teaser for the story episode. Palmers, my dad's side of the family. We're known for being somewhere between decent to very good storytellers. My dad is an excellent storyteller. We are also known for being uh, very good at exaggerating. <laughs> we have a tendency to exaggerate stories. Not intentionally. Like our own memory of the story just slowly exaggerates over time. Ergo, the... Uh balloon yes the, yes, the hot air the hot balloon, air balloon. yeah maybe that maybe that was it already kicking in as when i was a kid uh but my my dad is one who will say someone calls him on it he'll say look do you want a true story or do you want a good story i'm here to entertain you that's my job <laughs> shut up and listen uh and it's also like we like to quote spongebob there was one where mr Krabs says something and SpongeBob goes, but Mr. Krabs, isn't that lying? And Mr. Krabs goes, it's not lying. It's exaggerating. It's like sprinkling little lies throughout to make it true. Er. <laughs> My family has a tendency to exaggerate our, our story slightly. But all that to say, I do appreciate when that story got exaggerated. Um Yes, that was, and that professor was actually on the stage at my graduation. Uh, nice. He was one of the people I had to shake hands with. <laughs> and so my own like PI and professor was up there. So I shook hands with him and he was like, great job. And he like gave me a hug. And then this professor was up there. He shakes my hand and he goes, I see you showed up on time. <laughs> and I just laughed. <laughs> <laughs> well, so next time it'll be stories. Next time it'll be stories. Is there anything you want to leave off on, on truth and knowledge? Hmm. Um, not off the top of my head. No. Truth yeah. is a fascinating topic. And I think that we can never perfectly experience the truth. Um, possibly some, some very few exceptions. Uh, but I think it's a very interesting thing to to think about and and it's a very cool thing that we are experiential beings and that we're kind of hardwired that way and mm -hmm. i think there's value in experience even if it's not always some perfect representation of the truth yeah knowledge will always be changing to better fit the truth but the truth will never change that's how i think yeah and perhaps occasionally experience can even generate truth. Did I just halt? What? Screeching halt? How, how would how would truth not exist? Oh, the conclusion before that? of our episode just. Yeah, man. The the record just. <laughs> bro. Okay. Uh, hmm. Because I, I, I think it, it would have existed before that. I think the experience generates. Hmm. Mm. wisdom knowledge about 
about the truth. About okay. the truth. Okay. Okay, you've convinced me. That's fair. I was thinking in the aspect of art, that occasionally art is an experiential thing. And I was thinking that that art, in a way, generates truth. But I think you're right, actually. Art is more a generation of experience. Mm-hmm. And that experience may pertain and some show us some new truth. aspect of truth that we're not aware of before. Yes. We saved it. Okay. <laughs> we, we saved it. The record is spinning again. <laughs> it's once again playing Yimka. 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 It's fun to stay at the Yimka. <laughs> well, this has been the episode on knowledge and truth. Uh, this yeah. is Mind Pizza. Where we give you a piece of our mind. I'm John. I'm Daniel. Have a good one. We'll see you next week.